You know, I sit on a bunch of city boards here in Alexandria. Gold star for civic engagement. <laughs> Thanks. Anyway, last year I joined uh, the board of our transit agency. It's called Dash. We're going to have to make some big decisions this year, uh, potentially even cutting back on some of our bus routes. And we're going to really need to understand kind of where the community is on this before we make a decision that big. And so I asked the Dash staff, like, hey, guys, like, what are we doing on public engagement? Turns out they're doing a lot. They've got feet on the street. They're uh, jumping on buses and talking to bus riders. They're going to the metros in the morning and they're and they're and talking to folks there. They're doing public meetings across the city over like a several month period. And they have an online survey that they've gotten like a thousand people to fill out. So at first, I'm like, this sounds pretty good. But, but then I, you know, I step back and I'm thinking, wait a second, we're a city of 150,000 people. We've got a quarter of a million riders a month. We're only talking to like a fraction of the public. And so I say this at the board meeting uh, recently. I say, guys, are we doing enough here? Because I'm worried we're going to miss some important perspective before we make this decision. And there's silence around the table. And I look down uh, at one of the more experienced board members, and he's looking at me, and he says, guys, in a few months, we're going to make a decision. And there are going to be a bunch of angry people who are going to say, you didn't ask for our opinion, and you guys made a mistake. And he said, it's inevitable, so get ready for it. Ugh. That's so depressing. But, you know, I hear the same thing from my friends in San Francisco city government. They're so jaded about the public participation process because they only hear from the same people over and over Mm -hmm. again. And they're like, this just isn't working. Right. But, I mean, can't cities do a better job to connect with everyone the same way that companies and other organizations do on on our smartphones, on social media, you know, on our apps by tweeting us? That would seem like a good idea. But it does beg the question, the tech may be a convenient way to reach us, but is it a good way to reach us? I mean, can the tech actually get better feedback from more city residents? Well, let's head to Feedback City and find out. Today on Technopolis, stay with us. Welcome to Technopolis, where technology is disrupting, remaking, and sometimes overrunning our cities. I'm Molly Turner. I teach urban innovation at the Berkeley Haas School of Business, and I was the first policy director at Airbnb. And I'm Jim Capsis. I was a climate negotiator in the Obama administration, and now I advise tech startups. On today's episode, we're going to talk about how both tech and cities are trying to bridge the communications gap between city leaders and the people they serve. The problem goes both ways. How can cities listen more carefully to their constituents so they can tell them when big things are happening and keep them informed? And how can we be sure that the messages reach everybody and not just a select few? To learn more about how folks are tackling this problem, we've got two great guests today. Later in the show, we're going to hear what it's like to run a city in this digital age from Mayor Nan Whaley of Dayton, Ohio. She's trying to engage her constituents, all 140,000 of them, in a lot of places, including on their porches and on Facebook. But first, Jim, I really want to hear your conversation with Ayal Fader, the urban planner turned tech entrepreneur who founded Zen City, the civic engagement platform for local governments. Yeah, I spoke to him from Tel Aviv. 
And, you know, we talked at length, but let me give you a quick summary of what Zen City actually does. So they're, they're basically this platform that is taking a look at and collecting all of the public comments that we make on social media about how we feel about every aspect of the city and every comment we make on a news site that's public. But then they also are looking at, you know, every 311 call that we make, every email that we send to the city, they're tracking and they're aggregating all of those comments, both what we're saying directly to the city and what we're telling our friends about the city. And they're deriving insights and they're sharing that with the city so they can better understand what the public actually thinks about a given topic at mm. any, any moment in time. So let's play the tape. Basically what we do is we automatically tag each piece of information, whether it's a comment or a report to 311. We tag that with, first of all, a subject score, what city services this has to do with. So like waste management or potholes or whatever exactly. it might be. Okay. Or God forbid gun violence or um, live music shows. Then the second score we give it is a sentiment score or a satisfaction score. Basically, is this positive, negative, or neutral feedback about this issue? Uh, is it saying something good, something bad, or something um, that's neutral, like a question? So what percentage of the data that you're looking at comes from social media versus a 301 system versus like just looking at the news or comments on news sites? Mm-hmm. Just break it down for us a little bit. It varies a little bit. I'd say somewhere between 50 and 70% of our data is social media. Wow, that's a lot. Um, and out of that, yeah, it is. And about and out of that, about um, 80% is outside of the city's official accounts. About 10 to 20% would be comments on the city's official account, and the others would be other public domains on social media. What problems do you hear most often from mayors and other city leaders? Like, what, what are they the most worried about that they think or hope you will help them solve? The one thing that uh, is very interesting to me. They feel that today they are um, hearing the loud voices instead of the majority. Mm-hmm. We hear that over and over. One of the city managers we work with calls it uh, STPs, same 10 people. Same 10 people, right. uh, yeah. And they, the one, the folks who show up to every city uh, exactly. city hall uh, public hearing, um, I attend to this sometimes too. I know, I know who they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And they feel like that's the only voice they're hearing. And this creates one of two problems. Either they start to be very... Uh, um, cynical about public participation. They say, like, we can't get an honest opinion from our public because we keep on hearing the same voices, or at least the city actually acting on those very specific loud voices and uh, uh, changing their um, uh, changing their preferences based on that. And that is a problem that a lot of city managers and mayors have uh, approached with open eyes. Have any cities changed their policy in response to the feedback that you've given them? Could you give us an example? Of course. Let me give you an example, actually, from a city in Israel we're working with. City of, the city of Ashdod. Uh, it's uh, one of the biggest cities here in Israel, about 250,000 people. Um, and they rolled out uh, what's called a BRT, or Bus Rapid Transit. Yep. Basically, this means that they take a lane off a lot of the main roads, turn it into transit only, block it uh, with a physical barrier. Um, and as they rolled it out... We could tell them the conversation around it was super negative, like super negative. Around 90% of the comments around this project were negative. But the more interesting part is that as they saw conversation uh, continue to be to be negative over the next couple of weeks that they tracked it, uh, this started to be a problem, right? Council members started knocking at the mayor's door and saying like, hey, my constituents hate this project. You have to cancel it. You have to change it. You have to realign it. When the city saw that the conversation uh, remained negative, they actually use us to look into the data in depth and really understand not only is the sentiment positive or negative, but why is the sentiment negative? Hmm. What are the main issues that people are actually complaining about? What is the main problem? And to their surprise, one of the most common complaints across all the sources we were tracking was that people didn't understand 
the purpose of this project. Wow. So fundamentally, they just didn't get it. Yeah, exactly. The things that they're worried about is that they don't understand why we're investing our resources in this, why we're causing traffic delays. Let's try to communicate to them more tangible benefits. Did they, did they turn things around in response? They um, rolled out a completely new communication strategy that talked only about tangible benefits. Yet within 10 minutes from city center to the beach, um, best bus stations in the country, three times more seats on every bus, things that are you know super tangible. People could see why they were doing this. And within just a few weeks, conversation changed from 90% negative to about 70% positive. The level of conversation about it went down significantly. So overall sentiment in the city went back to its normal levels uh, that showed support and positive feedback. Are some people upset by the idea the city's watching them? They're surveying people's sentiments on social media and I guess in other in other areas. Uh, how do you deal with that? That's something we're very, very sensitive to. Um, I think one of the things we pride ourselves on is being super privacy aware. All of our data is completely anonymized and aggregated. There's no way to get back to the specific person posting. We actually don't keep... No way? Wait, how do you, how do, you do that? Help us understand how you do that. First of all, we don't keep any, um, any personal data at all. Uh, when we take data from 311, we don't even pull um, that information. The city records, like the names and uh, uh, the phone number of the people reporting the 311. In our analysis, we don't take that those pieces of information. We only take the content of the report, and we do the same with social media. We don't keep um, the names of the users posting uh, or anything like that. And we even go one step further to run algorithms over the text and anonymize any names that might be mentioned in them or personal information. We want to be looking at trends, at numbers, at changes over time. We don't want to see, you know, here is a specific person reporting a specific pothole in their street. What do mayors ask for that you're, you're just like, we can't do that? The demographic information behind uh, the data we collect. So what is the actual breakdown of the comment of the demographics behind the comments we analyze? And because we're so privacy aware and we have no information about the user posting, we can uh, only say where the conversation came from in terms of what outlet, but... Uh, Um, We can't say anything about the user posting, again, for privacy reasons. So I see how this Zen City platform can be good for cities, but man, could that creep people out. I mean, (laughs) the idea of government listening in on everything we're saying about it could cross a line from participatory democracy to a surveillance state real fast. So that gets to a question that is really central to our show, Mm -hmm. which is it's important to understand who's making the technology and what are their goals. So in the case of Zen City, at some point, There is going to be a city that will demand from Ayal that they want the user data. They want to know who's saying what about them. And when that happens, is he going to keep to such a strict privacy limitation? I I don't know, but I can certainly see the value and why folks may want to have that demographic information to make more use out of it. Uh, Like if he told me that 300 residents wanted to save a particular bus route in Alexandria, the first question I'd ask is, like, who are those people? Are they members of a vulnerable group or are they just, you know, folks uh, with a two-car garage that actually have, you know, an alternative form of transportation? Sure. But even without that information, it feels like it's valuable on its face because it's bringing more people into the conversation mm-hmm. and you're getting feedback in real time. 
Right. And that's why I really liked IL's story about the bus rapid transit system, because if they didn't have access to all those voices on social media, they maybe never would have known that people were actually so against the project and couldn't have made that mid-course correction that they did to, you know, build support again. I mean, that's pretty powerful stuff. But I'm still kind of skeptical about the quality of the social media feedback just in general. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure, traditional city hall hearings might be a pain, but at least you know that the people who show up at them are really invested in the issue. They've taken the time to get there. And social media is the exact opposite of that. People can just weigh in willy-nilly with no context whatsoever. (laughs) And, you know, like if someone's complaining about bikes on Twitter— Do you know whether they actually have a real position about bikes as part of our urban mobility system, or are they just complaining about something that happened to them this morning on their way to work? Yeah, but is it necessarily true that the thoughtfully considered comment is more valuable to the city than that kind of emotional, you know, knee-jerk response that someone puts on Facebook? I mean, I think they both actually have merit, however frustrating, you know, the latter one might be. Because let's not forget— Politics, especially local politics, it's emotional. Okay, but then how does a city leader juggle all of the different ways that her constituents want to talk to her? And then how does she value the relative importance of all of these different kinds of feedback? That's exactly why we wanted to talk to Mayor Whaley from Dayton, Ohio. She uses Zen City, among a lot of other platforms, including, and surprisingly, Facebook Messenger. I really dislike the Facebook Messenger um, app. If you could tell Mark Zuckerberg, that would be great. (laughs) (laughs) We'll make sure he listens to the podcast. It's my least favorite of all the ways they can reach me. Why is that your least favorite? Because when they have an issue around like a pothole or something, you can't trans like there's no 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 technology that is able to transfer that to somebody that can actually get the answer. Because typically, if I get a question, it's not like I go and fill the pothole, but I connect someone that fills the pothole, right? But with Facebook Messenger, there's no way that you can like forward that on unless you're their Facebook friend too. And I'm really not Facebook friends with a lot of the employees at the city of Dayton. <laughs> so, there's no easy way to like press a button and suddenly connect them to the 311 or whatever system exactly. you use. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and to my knowledge, like I brought this up when we did the Smart City Summit at NYU, nobody's really invented anything like that. And so I would love to have a connector that somehow connects Facebook Messenger to email because I think I'd be able to answer people faster. Uh, now, some of the mayors, you know, teased me, the other mayors there, because they don't answer all their Facebook Messengers. But I try to meet every citizen where they are. And so if they like Instagram, they like Twitter, they like Snapchat, They like phone. They like email. Like I try to be on all the platforms because I recognize we have a real, you know, different generations and different kinds of people uh, use different modes of communicating. And I I try to be wherever they are, not just what's easiest for me. You know, and the other the other thing we've had great success in is on technology is the state and delivers app that we use where, you know, you can. So it's an app on your phone where you can go on your phone and any issue you have or anything you want to turn in. So you have a pothole and you want the pothole field. You just take a picture of it and turn it in because it picks up the GPS of it. So it's much easier for us to find that location. And then it will be um, processed within wow. 48 hours. I like that. I take pictures and send it to the head of transportation services and say like, dude, fix this. <laughs> fix this. So, so I like the idea of taking a picture and putting it into an app better. This is how my husband turns things in. He doesn't even tell me. <laughs> He likes it better than telling me at home. And and I've gone to porch tours and neighbors and people are like, I love this app. This is so great. I think it's a way that people like to meet us. 
Tell us about these porch tours. How'd you come up with that idea? What are they like? When I first was elected mayor, um, I decided, you know, I wanted to do something that was, in, you know, was a way to engage neighborhoods in the community. And um, I live in a neighborhood that, you know, the houses were built like in 1920, and they have these great front porches where we all, like in my neighborhood, we all sit out front in the summers. Mm. And so I like that idea of like sitting on your front porch. Honestly, most of them aren't on porches, but some of them <laughs> have been. Like they're really wherever the neighborhood wants to be. Like sometimes they're in a front yard, sometimes they're at a church. Uh, Sometimes they're on people's porches. But this this idea of like, hey, let's just have a have a talk about your community and your neighborhood. What do people want to talk to you about on these porch tours or what do you want to talk to people about? A lot of it is about depending on each neighborhood. Um, it's the issues of their neighborhood. So it can be it could be home values. It could be um, a development. It could be, you know, city services. They talk about whatever. And then we try to follow up with those issues and get back to them afterwards. Uh, what's one of the more controversial issues that you've had to tackle and communicate uh, with the public about, let's say, in the last year or so? For us, the toughest issue has been the opioid crisis. We're continuing to work on it. I mean, it's not something we're done with at all. How have you used tech to, I guess, engage your constituents on this, on the opioid crisis? It's a, it's a sensitive, as you noted, it's a very sensitive area. So are you able to use tech to assist you in these efforts? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, we use all the different forms of social media to talk about it. When you have something as tough as that kind of issue, I think it's important to own it. So us saying that and saying we're going to be public about this and we're going to be open about it, I think helped build trust in the community that we weren't trying to hide. Our Adamus board, Adamus is like the mental health and mm-hmm. drug addiction services, so they've used they've used even an app to do that. It's had some some success. I think I mean again, you know, I think with all this tech and like how people talk in social media, like is something that we obviously monitor and keep an eye on when they talk publicly, but you know, the best the best way to communicate is always face-to-face. Like, nothing beats face-to-face, in my opinion. Nothing beats it, but it doesn't scale, does it, the face-to-face no. meetings? No. So, Mayor Whaley, can you tell us a little bit about how you think about – so you, you're on these porches talking to folks. You have these meet-the-mayor ses- sessions in City Hall, I guess. And then you have all these – you know, people are messaging you, messaging you on Facebook. <laughs> and you've got Zen City listening to their social media. Like, what are the in-person conversations good at that the tech can't do and vice versa? Well, I think the in-person meetings just get really much deeper and more personal. And – um you know, when I do mornings with the mayor, I mean, you can have every... I mean, sometimes they come and it's like, oh, they could have just sent me an email on this issue and we could have taken care of it or they could have just called. But sometimes people just want to see the mayor and that's fine. Um, but, you know, the personal ones, I think, are really important to do face-to-face. And, I mean, I'll never forget, I, you know, I do mornings with the mayor on, like, a Friday morning. I do everything from, like, marry people during that time to <laughs> just anybody can come in and take a meeting. And this woman came in, and I thought she was, like, wanting to, like, she was, you know, dressed in business attire on a Friday morning. She had a briefcase, and she sits down. And I thought she was going to tell me, like, I want to start a business in Dayton. And she sat down because she wanted to tell me about her son who died from an overdose six months before and to tell me, like, the story of his life and then to tell me the work that she was doing to help change the community in that effort. And, you know, frankly, that that, that conversation would not have had the depth it had to me or to her if it was not face-to-face. And so those are the differences in the types of communication that we have to do. So what's the next best way to engage people after face to face well on the phone 
<laughs> no one talks on the phone anymore, though. Right. Mayor also, also hard to scale that because only so many phone calls you personally. And yeah, your staff like if you want to, like, so we had a we had a water main break about two weeks ago, and uh, we hadn't had we hadn't had a boil advisory in the city of Dayton <clears throat> like decades, right? So this water main break happens, and um, you know, the best and the fastest way was to get to get to people was mass communication, like just get on TV. And which we did, but then there were so many people that didn't watch TV anymore. Yeah. So right. I was, yeah, what do you do I was putting, the TV oh, anymore, I put yeah. all these notices on Facebook and actually Facebook and Twitter. I mean, that was the best way to go right now. But again, like we, we just used every single uh, form we could because our phone system got really overwhelmed too. Like you said, it wasn't scaled. So the, the call wait was like an hour. And, um, you know, so one of the things that, and it'll probably take us about a year to do this, but one of the things that we're talking about is like, okay, let's do a text service where people could just sign, like give their text number. And if there is an emergency in the city, we can send a text note out. Um, and, you know, you would send it to us and you would opt into that. Why not push to be able to text all of your constituents? I mean, do you need more authority so that you could actually communicate with those, with, with, your, with your folks more easily in emergencies in particular? Yeah, I think that would make a lot of sense if like, the um, telecommunications would allow us to send to these people that are in this jurisdiction. That's something that I don't have authority over. So I was trying to think of ways that we could move things that we have authority over. We actually put together this like um, app like where you could type in your address and you could find out if you were in the Boyle Advisory or not. And we did that within 12, 14 hours of the advisory. We had just gotten Zen City like a month or two before. So this was helpful for us to like see what how people were feeling about this water main break, right? And 80% of the people that were like talking on social media were either positive or neutral about the water main break, which I thought meant we had communicated That's really amazing. well, frankly. That's yeah, great. I was shocked. So is it, is it like a substitute for like polling? Is it sort of like a, it's like a real-time yeah. kind of taking the pulse check of the public without actually having to invest in an exactly. expensive poll? Exactly. So, you know, in real time. And so that's that's super helpful to us, especially when we're in a crisis like the water main break. Do your constituents know that you're using Zen City to kind of monitor their sentiment on their social media? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was like a public vote. Well, some people were concerned. I mean, we gave a great, you know, in-depth presentation about like all of this being public data. And it's aggregated, too. It's not like... You know, Reggie James at 444 West 6 says this, you know, it's like, here's what the general consensus of the community is. What kind of folks are you finding it the most difficult to reach? A lot of folks. It's like for different reasons. Like, I think younger people are hard to reach um, because they don't like come to meetings anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) And older people can't get to meetings anymore. So I think like on the edges of the generations, Mm -hmm. I think is a challenge for us. And then, you know, when they're in the middle and they're busy with their lives, like if you have two kids or three kids, you know, or you don't have access to transportation, how do you get to a meeting? And so, you know, or how do you find the time to like say, I really don't like whatever's going on in the neighborhood. I think it's really important. How do you measure the success of your engagement with the public? And just how does the tech help you know how you're doing? You know, we test it in public opinion poll each year to see how people feel about response rates and that they get their answer questions answered. I think that's what's so great about having all the different tools. It's hard. It's harder than it was 20 years ago to communicate with your citizens. Like, I think that's the thing people, I think, 
are wrong about. You actually spend more time, not less time communicating because there's so many tools. Mm. Uh, if I think you're doing it right. Um, be, and because people are so narrow casted now on what they listen to, that's that's a big challenge for government. Meaning what you're, what you, is what you mean that there's no one easy way to reach everybody? Yeah. I mean, used to like, um, you know, in Dayton, if you put it on Channel 7 News, everyone saw Channel 7 News. It had like 90%. It still has like 90% market share. But the number of people watching Channel 7 News is, you know, watching news at all is going down. And so they still have 90% market share, but it's like nobody's watching news as much. And so <laughs> right. I think that's Large my share point. of not very many people. Right. Right. And so it used to be every, that's the only place anybody could get any news at six o'clock. And so that's what they did. So given how much has changed in the past 20 years, like 20 years from now, how do you think your constituents are going to want to talk to the future mayor? I just hope they'll still want to talk. That's that's my <laughs> I mean, that's my concern, honestly, is like, you know, we have all these tools that more and more that make it, you know, accessible. But it seems like less and less people are really engaging. I think that's what I'm most nervous about democracy with with tech is you know, people get more and more in their their lane of where they decide to listen. And so that's a real challenge for local communities. Mm-hmm. And especially because the way people talk now and what they're interested in is more nationalized. Uh, it makes it it makes it more difficult. Um, so I, I'm you know, I'm I'm a little nervous about what communications will look like in twenty years for local communities. There's more Technopolis coming right up, so stick around after the break. I mean, did you count how many ways she's engaging with her citizens? Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat, email, (laughs) porches, city hall. (laughs) But on the other hand, what is she going to do? I mean, fewer and fewer people watch local news. She can't communicate with all the people all at once anymore. So you have to meet people where they are, and it turns out they're in a lot of freaking different places. <laughs> yeah. And then I thought it was interesting, like even in emergencies, there's no way for her to communicate directly with citizens. Like we get those Amber Alert messages sometimes on our phones, mm-hmm. at least I, I do. But maybe she should be allowed to text citizens to send an evacuation message or to notify the public about a health emergency like that water issue that she was dealing with or even a potential terrorist situation. But she doesn't have that authority. I mean, it would take a change in law. I get that it would be more efficient, but I also worry that it could just be abused really fast. Like, I hmm. signed up for this new app, Nixel, that the city of San Francisco uses to send emergency notifications to people who opt into it. Mm-hmm. But now the Department of Emergency Management sends me a text almost daily with something like, you know, there's a downed power line halfway mm-hmm. across the city, or there's police activity on some intersection where I don't even know where it is. And it's getting to the point where I'm not even paying attention anymore. It's like the boy who cried wolf. And I might actually unsubscribe. Right. But you were able to opt out, which is what a lot of people, frankly, like about these tech platforms, right? It's the ability to choose to be part of them or not to. But there's one option that, to me, it has to remain on the table, and that's those in-person moments, mm-hmm. right? Like that story she told about the mother who came to talk to her about her son yeah. who died of an overdose. There's just no tech substitute for that. All right, but then 
if a mayor wants to talk to her constituents in person and talk to them online with all these platforms, like, they need some help to sift through all of this and to, like, see the forest for the trees. I mean, that actually seems like the place where a platform like Zen City can really be helpful to help her see the trend lines and distinguish between what's really meaningful feedback and what's just, you know, the bad day gripes. Still, I think that mix, at least in Zen City's model, it might be overly indexed for social media. I mean, mm-hmm. IL told us, what, it accounts for over half of the chatter yeah. he's picking up? That's a lot. And we already know that there are a lot of problems out there with social media. It can be manipulated by bots. And there are a bunch of people who aren't using it, right, who aren't represented. And what happens, you know, if Facebook suddenly makes our posts private or if there's a massive rebellion and users just cut the cord from Facebook? I mean, I could see that happening given recent headlines. Couldn't there you? goes the Zen City business model. <laughs> right, right. So I don't think people fully get how much of what they're saying on social media is public anyway. I mean, it's being recorded and cataloged and aggregated by companies. But once folks understand that, like, the government's doing the same thing, uh, in effect, buying that data... Uh, Even if they think it's for good reasons, I I don't think they're going to be on board. Look, I think all of these forms of communication have drawbacks. Like, I don't want the city texting me every day. I also don't have time to show up at city hall hearings and participate in person. I don't have a porch where the mayor can reach me. The news that I watch is increasingly siloed. And I don't want my Twitter surveilled. But at the end of the day, if you're going to move my bus route, I want to (laughs) know... And I want you to reach me however you can, preferably by email. <laughs> well, I'll take any solution that helps me get beyond those like same 10 people because my nightmare scenario, going back to the transit board, is we make a decision on the bus routes and we get it wrong because we didn't actually reach the right folks. This is our last episode for a while. We'll be back in a few weeks with two special bonus episodes just in time for Summer in the City. I'm Molly Turner. And I'm Jim Capsis. Nicole Flato is the City Lab editor and our most engaged citizen. Virginia Laura is our associate producer. And Lizzie Jacobs is our executive producer. Josh Rogerson is our engineer. And the music is by Copilot. Special thanks on this episode go to Rebecca Woodbury, Jason Lolly, Krista Kanalakis, and David Burns. For more on engagement tech and other topics relevant to our urban lives, head to citylab.com. And don't miss out on a single podcast. Subscribe to Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. And tell a friend. <laughs>